and it's one of those sort of, at times, can be a bit of an awkward conversation. But, I, but the last week, I was really intentional in making sure that we, we grounded what we were saying in the heart of God from the very beginning, that his promise to Abraham was that, Abraham, I will bless you in order to make you a blessing. And so even today, whenever it comes to our, to our giving, whenever it comes to the, the challenge of what we do with, with our resources, with, our, with, what we've, with what we have, with what we own, with our possessions, our stuff, um, there's that, it's not that, I'm, it's not that I'm asking, putting out some regulations or some laws that we have to follow in order to be right. We're actually talking about, my passion is that we would all live in the blessing of God. And that, that even comes with what we do with our, with our stuff, with our possessions. He's blessed us in order that we would be a blessing, and I and I think last week we we um, we searched the scriptures, we searched some of the places that we felt that Jesus gave us some really helpful insight, some really helpful thoughts about what we do with what has been given to us. And so we looked at the we looked briefly at the story of the rich young ruler. We looked briefly at the this incredible story of the widow that had the two coins, and um, and we talked a wee bit about the meager, this meager offering, almost to the point of embarrassment that the disciples offered um, to feed the multitudes. But we've seen what Jesus did with that and, uh, and so hopefully encouraged by that even our meager offering that we bring to him open-handed that he can do something with it. We, uh, we pointed out verses in Matthew, Jesus saying that um, if you want to where your treasure is, is where your heart is also. Um, so really challenged by that. I still continue to be challenged by that. I think about my week. If you were to take stock this morning about your week, what has, what, where is it evident? If somebody was to, if somebody was a fly on the wall and seen what you were up to, where has your affections been? Where have you been given your, your treasure to? Because where you've been giving it to, it will reveal your heart, reveal what's going on in here. Um, and then I was just struck actually last night just with, uh, with what Jesus said in Matthew 6. And so often we, we come to moments like times of prayer or times of fasting. And we use, this lang we use the language that Jesus prayed. Jesus assumed that this is something that we would do. Because in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray... Like this was something that he assumed that we would just, that we would be doing. He also says, when you fast, again, assume this is just something that we would do as, a, as part of our um, following of him. And then he also says, and sometimes we ignore this, but when you give, again, it doesn't feel like it is optional. It's a, it feels like it's something that was just assumed would be the norm for people who were following this kingdom way of Jesus. Um, so today, for the time that we have, I know I add into uh, your, a bit more of your Sunday afternoon than I normally do last week, and so try to regain some of that this morning. Um, but I wanna, look at, I wanna look at some stuff in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and Romans 
Um, so it's all it's all pretty much bulked together. So if you have a Bible, you want to follow along. That's what we're going to be. Um, specifically looking at Paul's third missionary journey. For those that for those that never uh, have a Bible like mine, and at the back of it has all the maps. Like for years, I like what is the point in that? But recently, over recent years, whenever you just get sucked into some of the story, that I probably looked at the map, those maps more than I have at some of some of the Bible, and uh, just picking up, following Paul's track, probably because I'm so nosy, but following Paul where he was at certain times as we journey through the book of um, the book of Acts. So today, whenever we're thinking about. First Corinthians, the end of First Corinthians, the start of Second Corinthians, and some of Romans. We're, we're, we're referring to Paul's third missionary journey and the bulk of this journey. So if, I, I don't know if there's a way to define the first two missionary journeys that Paul went on, but I think it would be safe to say that it was planting the church. It was planting churches in places that, hadn't, that, the, that had never been planted in before, that the gospel had never reached. Paul has planted churches, and then maybe the second missionary journey is him establishing these churches. He goes back around again to establish and strengthen. We see that often throughout his letters, how he's come again to establish and to strengthen the church. But this third missionary journey, the bulk of it, is taken up with... Oh, look at this. That's even more impressive than the back of my Bible. Um, the, the bulk of this journey is taken up with Paul... Make, um, going around making a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. So he's going back around to churches a third time, but this time it's to get their money. <laughs> um, the, if you were to go to Acts chapter 11, um, just by, like, this is probably not hugely important, but just by way of interest, Acts chapter 11 um, verse 27 says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So Agabus had prophesied that this severe famine would reach um, the entire Roman world, and here we are uh, in Paul's third missionary journey, living in the fulfillment, witnessing the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because in Jerusalem, there's this severe famine. Um, and so if you were to see, I've seen the map, I think it was down there somewhere. Uh, severe famine in Jerusalem. And so Paul is going back around uh, Corinth and Achaia, all up around here. Um, I don't know why I'm committing myself to doing this, because I'll make a fool of myself. But up around, he makes his way up around here. Yes, look. Look at that. That's right. Um, severe famine down here. Oh my goodness, a red light. Uh, so anyway, I'm totally distracted by that. I, I send you this, I'm so easily distracted uh, and I have no idea where I am. Barely remember what I'm talking about. Uh, so he's collecting money, he's make, collecting this offering, but I love, and I don't know if I'll go back to it again, but just, just to highlight to you the language that Paul uses. Uh, a bit a bit crass there by saying he was just going around to get their money. But what he, the language he uses is that you're, not, you're being invited into the service to the saints, ministry to the saints. just love that language that Paul is uh, inviting the Gentile churches into. Um, so I know that we're all one church, but Paul was, just, Paul was going 
collecting an offering from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Greece, all up around here, uh, for the Jewish church that was down here struggling in a place of severe famine in Jerusalem. Um, and I make the point, I just make that point that it was the, he was taking this, uh, this offering, this service to the saints from the Gentile church to the Jewish church. Because I think what Paul is doing, and what he's doing beautifully, because he's been right in the middle of the tension between the Gentile and the Jew the whole way through his ministry. It's got him in trouble so often. It's got him brought before the, 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 the Jewish church leadership so many times. And I think here is the moment that Paul is wanting this collection, wanting this gathering, this service to the saints to be an act of unity, to be an act of solidarity, to ease the tensions between the Gentile church and the Jewish church. Because he was right in the middle of this all of the time. The Jewish church were so ticked off with Paul because Paul was this, this stunning message of grace that he was bringing all around the world. Saying, like, <laughs> and that's why, the, so the Jewish church was coming to him saying, Paul, you can't do this. If they're going to be part of us, they need to be circumcised. Paul, if they're going to be part of us, they need to eat the same way that we eat. They need to clean themselves the same way that we clean themselves. And Paul was just saying that, like, that's not the way it is. I have this revelation of the stunning grace of God, and that is not what you need to do to follow Jesus. That's not what you need to be part of the church. And so it was just this constant tension. And, uh, and so Paul just refused. He refused to insist on practicing their law and their traditions in order to find favor with God, in order to pursue relationship with Jesus. And, um, and so this, I think this offering was a moment that he could say, and even though you've tried to divide us, even though you've tried to cause this wedge between us, here is a moment where the Gentile church that you've tried to keep out I want them to be a blessing. I want them to serve you. I want them to be a ministry to you so that we can truly be, show an act of unity, truly show an act, an act of solidarity. Um, and I love this. I found myself even just sitting in the car this morning when Reuben was playing football, just like Paul wanted to know, I think over and over again, what does love look like? You're telling me that to be, I need to be part of you, I need to be circumcised, to enter into loving covenant relationship, with you that I need to be circumcised, that I need to do this and do that, eat this and don't eat that. Paul is just wanting to know, what does love look like? And I think that's what drives him the whole way through this third missionary journey. What does love look like? It looks like you're pouring out yourself. It looks like you're giving of yourself for the sake of others. And even in this, at this time, pouring out yourself for the sake of others, even those that probably didn't even appreciate you or those that probably didn't even value you or your part in this... Uh, in this kingdom of God. Um, so 1 Corinthians 16 is, uh, is the first place that I, that I want to look at, um, the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 16. He starts off by saying, now about the collection for God's people. And part of me wants to go off, really tempted to go off on a tangent here, because so much of what Paul writes in Corinthians is he is repeating what has already, the questions that the church uh, have already been asking him. And so they've been asking him about this, and his letter is in response to that. And the tangent that I'm tempted to go on is that Paul does that several places, namely 1 Corinthians 11, when it comes to speaking about women. I'm not going to go there this morning. Um, now about the collection for God's people. 
do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So this is really practical. This is practical information that Paul is given to the church in Corinth as he closes out this letter. But I think it's helpful for us to hear. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Seems really practical, really boring, but I think it is something that is important for us um, to acknowledge this special fund that was that was being built up, this idea of like just giving weekly like a portion of your income, setting it aside so that whenever it came to a moment where the church needed to respond to something, that there was money there. Paul is saying, so that whenever I come, we don't have to go around panicking for a collection because you've already, you've already established this pattern that I've instructed for you, that the first day of the week, your first fruits, you would offer a portion of your income uh, in order to gather up a fund so you'd be able to respond to needs within the church, within the community, when it, when it comes along. And so again, just struck by this, this that no, there's no emotional appeal here from Paul. I think he's, he's a wee bit like what we've talked about at the beginning, like when you give. Paul just, like, this is just an assumption that this is how you would live. This is what you would give your, uh, what you would give yourself to. It's also interesting, which makes it slightly challenging, because there's no sort of black and white, uh, when it, there's no sort of black and white um, appeal to tithing laws. So we, don't, we can't go into any part of the New Testament and say, like, guys, you need to give 10% because, like, look what it says here. Um, Paul doesn't, he doesn't do that. There's no appeal to the tithing laws of the Old Testament. Um, there's no suggestion of a particular proportion. Uh, so all of that to say, this is the practical stuff that Paul's talked about at the end of this letter. But what I love, my, I love that Paul then, he gets into the, he gets into the meat of it in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 and, uh, and Romans 15 as well. So if that, 1 Corinthians 16, if that's sort of the practical stuff, the stuff that's good advice, good, um, good, good pattern for us to, to get into, then here is the theological motivation. Here is uh, Paul getting stuck into why this is really important. And, um, and so I've read over and over, the, over this over and over again trying to condense it, trying to put my own stuff on it. But honestly, it feels like this preaches itself. What Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is um, just a preach on its own. Probably all of Scripture is too. We need to find ways of uh, condensing it or whatever. But let me read. Let me read it here. Um, I, know it sounds, I know it sounds like a lot to two chapters, I'll maybe skip a few bits, but um, I just find this really important for what we're talking about. Uh, and now, brothers, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Um, so again, these guys up here, uh, out of the most severe trial, this is what makes this even more beautiful, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, uh, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And so I'm reading that, I'm reading that during the week and I'm thinking this, is, this just reminds me of the widow that Jesus, that Jesus commended. It wasn't anything necessarily to do with the amount. It was to do with the fact of it just was something that was welled up. This, this, was, just, this was just welled up in this woman. She was just so committed, so faithful to her offering, so faithful to obeying God that uh, she just continued to give even in her poverty. Um, and she gave as much as she was able and even beyond her ability. Um, and they did not do, verse 5, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so Eugene Peterson, the message version says, uh, whenever it came to the explanation of how that they were able to do what they were doing, they were given beyond, what's, it seemed they were given beyond their ability but such was their spirit of generosity, such was the overflowing joy that Paul and his people that he's with are wanting an explanation. How has this happened? And so Paul, Paul says here, the, the verses that I've read, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And so Eugene Peterson says in his uh, paraphrase of it, uh, the, the explanation simply was that they'd given, themsel they'd given themselves totally to God. So I think whenever it comes to this conversation, whether it's about time, treasure, or talent, I think that's that's the first place. All of it's going to be really, it's going to be striving, it's going to be difficult. But whenever we give ourselves first to God, then all of this other stuff becomes so much more easier, it, so much more filled with joy and generosity, so much more this idea of just relinquishing Whenever you've given yourself totally to God, you've fully relinquished. You've died to self. You're open-handed. You're open-hearted, whether that's with, again, time, talent, or treasure. Um, and so it goes on. Uh, just as you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Verse 8, again, he's saying, this is not a commandment. I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest of, earnestness of others. Like part of me is like, I find myself so torn again by this during the week. Because again, I want to be told, give me an instruction, give me something that I can tick a box to. Give me something that's clear, that's black and white, and I can say, yes, I've done that. But Paul here is saying, I'm not commanding you, but I'm gonna test what this is gonna do what this offering and this giving is going to do, it's going to test the sincerity of your love. Um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Um, and here is my advice about what is best for you. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Again, just like wanting to pull out these verses, make sure that you're hearing them. Paul is, he is not commending necessarily for their giving. He's commending because of their heart. If our giving and our offering is disconnected from our heart, I would want to keep asking the question, what's the point? What's the point in your giving if it is not connected to your heart, if it is not connected to your desire to do so? 
Um, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. But if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. It feels like it's so little that I need to add to that. Just reminds me of what the, the how the early church, how the early church started, what it was, what it was formed, what it built itself around. It built itself around everybody desiring for this equality, and because of that, they laid everything at the feet of the apostles so that nobody would be in need. So the people that had much, they gave because they knew that the time could come whenever they would also need um, the same. Thing. Um, so this is more than a financial transaction. Um, this is a service to the saints. This is a ministry to the saints. They not only gave, but they wanted to. And so again, to quote Eugene Peterson, I love this line that he uses, the heart regulates the hands. The heart regulates the hands. The heart controls the hands. Um, so he goes on, Titus is sent uh, Titus is sent to be part of this uh, towards the end of chapter 8. Um, let me just go to verse 6 of chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man uh, and woman, ladies, you're not getting out of it, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so here again, it feels like we, sh we shared last week uh, from um, Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, where, where God was like challenging the people, like you're robbing, you're robbing me. Like how are you robbing me? He says, because you're not, you're not tithing, you're not bringing an offering into the storehouse. And if you would only do that, you'll see that I'll pour out a blessing. And then he says, test me on this. I couldn't help but read through some of these verses in Second Corinthians 9 and think that almost, here's the bit of a test here again. Here's almost a bit of a, a here's a chance to prove this. Because if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you um, sow generously, you'll also reap generously. That's Paul's challenge. That's his stirring to these people. And again, offer it to you again this morning to, to, to consider this. Consider your heart response to this. Are you ready to, to, to test? Are you ready to prove that this this is right. So we're not, again, as we come to some practical stuff, and we'll talk more about this, I think, next week, but we're not, there's no legalistic requirement here. Um, and, and maybe that freaks some people out. There's some people in the room that just like structure, that like a figure, that like a number. 
And I get that. But it's hard to find that whenever we engage with this, with this missionary journey that Paul is on. There's no legalistic requirement. And this is where it begins to continue to chat. This is where it continues to challenge. Because what Paul is saying as the verses go on, this service, verse 12 of, of chapter 9, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of, of, uh, of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, this generous giving, it's not only responding to the needs of the people and the community, but it is also evidence of your natural response of gratitude. Your generous giving is equated to your overflowing, your natural response of thankfulness. And so again, Paul is saying, this is a decision that is made in the heart. There is a delight in giving. It's because of the, this understanding of the goodness and the nature of God that your natural response to that is to give generously. And again, Eugene Peterson says in his paraphrase of this, you show your gratitude through your generous offering. Show your gratitude through your generous offering. And Romans 15, Romans 15 is just, it's, it's similar, a similar time frame that this has been written, written to a different group of people, but it's about the same same story, essentially. And I just go there, not to read it all, but just to refer to Romans 15, verse 25. Um, again, pointing out that they were happy. They were happy to give. They were happy to, to be generous. But it says that they were happy to do this, but recognized that it was also their duty. They were happy to give, but they recognized that it was also their duty. And so, again, I'm struck by that. I'm struck by the thought of all of this, all of this that I've thrown at you this morning. I just continue to be provoked and challenged by much of this. Truly, I can't tell you, I think you know actually, I can't tell you how much I'm wrestling with so much of this in my own life and in the life of, the, of our church. Um, but it feels like, we, we almost shy away from that, that this is, this is our responsibility. We want to respond to the needs within our, among us. We want to respond to the needs within our community. There is a call on us and a responsibility on us to, to give. There is a call on us to enter into the spirit of the one that we follow, radical generosity, willingness to lay down everything, willingness to relinquish, relinquish to be open-handed and open-hearted. And so there's no legalistic requirement on this. And I've said it the last couple of weeks, and just to make sure you hear me saying it again, if you're leaving this, if you're walking away from this conversation feeling any sense of guilt or any sense of condemnation, then I, I'm telling you, you have not heard me right. Um, my heart in this is to be faithful ultimately to Scripture and be faithful, more importantly, to Jesus and his ways and... Um, and then for you, truly believe that it's not in order to get your stuff, not to get your money. It's so that you will live in the blessing of God. And that means having 
to talk about this means not avoiding this and becoming I am becoming less concerned about shying away from some of this because it's evident it's like so much of what Paul writes about it's so much of what Jesus engages with and I think I've been I've been shied away from it because I thought it was like bounding people or like restricting people or putting people in some sort of chains because of a responsibility to give but it's not it's about freedom wanting to live in freedom and um, and I see that in what Jesus said and I see that in what Paul instructed and so are you finishing with one Oh, Amy's coming. Sorry about that abrupt ending. I'm just conscious of time, and I'm just going to keep repeating myself. I'm so desperate that you know my heart. So desperate that you hear my heart in this. Um, Amy's going to come and, and, and close us out.